Hey, it's your host, Brittany, and welcome to the Mom Sweat Sanity Podcast, where we talk all things life, health, fitness, kids, relationships, you name it, nothing is off the table. A little bit of just me and a whole lot of knowledgeable guests. So throw on your Lulus to run or to mom, grab yourself a cup of coffee or a glass of wine, and join us as we unpack life's pressing topics and learn a little bit more of the who, what, whys of it all. Or at the very least, get real, share some wisdom, and grab practical tips to help in our daily lives. I definitely wanted a story so that I could go out and help other people. So I remember lying in my room and specifically looking at the ceiling and saying, God, I need a story. I'm a successful single mom. I'm a top producing realtor, but a lot of people have been there and that's not interesting enough. And I said, please give me a story, but please don't give me cancer. I'm not sure why I said that, but I did. What unfolded over the next year was absolutely mind-blowing. Hey everyone, and welcome back. Can you imagine waking up one morning and not being able to hear? Imagine trying to raise two children, run a business, be a new wife, and navigate a whole new world. This is Monique Williamson's story. Tune in today as she explains how she advocated through the healthcare system and how she is living a life of fulfillment in life after death. Today, I'm sitting here with Monique, and I am super excited to get into Monique's life journey and new events and occurrences in her life. There's so much to dive into here with her, and I am going to let Monique give a bit of an overview of herself. Well, thank you for having me today. I'm honored to say the least. I would say that the first thing I want to say about myself is I'm a proud mother. I'm 46 years old. I have a beautiful 16-year-old daughter, Rachel, and a son who I can't believe is already four. I'm also a wife to my business partner and best friend, Jesse. I would say if I was to ask myself what is most known about me is I'm very outspoken I love helping other people. I love animals and nature. And I'm also very entrepreneurial in spirit. So looking back at my life, I bought my first home when I was in my 20s. And I developed a love of older homes and bringing them back to life. So after renovating a couple of those, I decided that It was important that I try to help other people do that. So having been in sales since I was 15, I combined my knowledge of home renovation and selling and became a realtor in my 30s. So I've been doing that for the past 16 years now. I also am a bit of an inventor. So I invented a pet product called the Poo Pouch, a portable collapsible pet waste carrier that I brought to market And I also recently penned my memoir after experiencing a ton of health problems that hit me quite suddenly in my late 30s. And my goal today is to basically use my love of other people and joy for speaking to help other people advocate for health and avoid some challenges if I possibly can help them. So that's sort of a little bit about me and my goals. Wow. Well, I can say you are one definite entrepreneur and I'm sure have a plate full often. 
but it sounds like you have such a level head and just an amazing outlook on everything. Thank you. That's so kind. Well, Monique and I met back in the real estate world when I was doing that pre-children, or I guess through a few children, but definitely you have been a person that has always just sat well with my heart. And I'm always so interested to see where you are in life and what you are doing. So your story over the past few years, I mean, you've definitely been advocating for health and until you're into that healthcare system, you don't realize how far you have to advocate for yourself to get that health. And I am sure that you are now the one to speak this so true. And I would love to dive in there. So you penned a memoir. Maybe you can tell us um, what this was about and and where it took you. Okay. So What happened to me was when I was younger, I always dreamed of a couple of things. One was I always just visualized myself as a speaker and to help others. And another thing that I really wanted was just to have a stable, happy, fairy tale type of marriage. So for me, in my late 30s, I was very healthy, but I definitely wanted a story so that I could go out and help other people. So I remember lying in my room and specifically looking at the ceiling and saying, God, I need a story. I'm a successful single mom. I'm a top producing realtor, but a lot of people have been there and that's not interesting enough. And I said, please give me a story, but please don't give me cancer. I'm not sure why I said that, but I did. What unfolded over the next year was absolutely mind-blowing. I met the love of my life at a golf tournament. And again, one of the things that I believe is, as I explain my story to you, is there are absolutely no accidents in life. Everything happens and it's purposeful. And if you ask, you do receive. I've witnessed it on so many occasions. So just as I was falling in love and realizing my fairy tale finally, I woke up next to this new partner of mine in the fall of September 2014, or sorry, 2014 is September. And I woke up and looked at the ceiling. It was two o'clock in the morning and the ceiling was spinning around in circles. And it is probably the most terrifying thing that I've ever experienced. So I tapped him and I said, help me. I think I've had a stroke or something. So I tried to get out of bed. And of course, I fell straight to the ground. I was suffering from severe, severe vertigo. So we went to the hospital, began the steps to look into what was happening. And it was misdiagnosis after misdiagnosis. The typical thing when you have vertigo like that is they think you have a loose crystal in your ear and they give you what's called the Epley maneuver. And if it doesn't work, then, you know, it's something else. For me, unfortunately, it was something else. They next went on to think it was a virus called labyrinthitis, which attacks your vestibular system. And they say it'll just go away on its own. For me, it took my the hearing in my left ear rather suddenly. I just noticed I was lying in bed for three weeks, couldn't get out of bed from severe dizziness. But I noticed that all of a sudden it felt as if somebody just put their hand over my ear and it was just gone, just blocked. And it was a very, very uncomfortable and stressful situation. But at the time, because I couldn't walk from my bed to the kitchen in my home, and I had a daughter who was, I believe, nine at the time, 
I had bigger fish to fry. So losing my hearing was really just sort of second to what just being able to walk from one place to the other. So my hearing never did come back, despite doctors telling me 99% of the cases it does return, but it did not. So I spent the next eight months rehabilitating myself, going through severe nausea and just trying to learn to walk without looking drunk, walking through the streets. I finally learned to walk properly and was getting used to single-sided deafness when my wedding was one month away. At that time, I went to sleep and I woke up again in the middle of the night. Now this time, the vertigo was not as severe. I just said to my husband or my fiance at the time, I feel a bit dizzy. Oh, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it, he said. About five days later, I was still kind of lying in bed, feeling a little off. And he and my daughter came into my bedroom in the mid-afternoon, and they spoke to me, and they sounded like Alvin and the Chipmunks. Hi, honey. How are you? Hi, mommy. How are you? That's all they remember. And I said, why are you speaking that way? And they said, what way? And I said, as if you've sucked helium. And so what was happening was the other ear was starting to go. Once I obviously became aware of that, we raced to the ENT. He put me in the audio box immediately, saw that I had lost another 40, 50% in the other ear now, considered it, of course, a medical emergency, sent me straight over to Lionsgate. And I remember lying in the gurney and looking at the ceiling and as the last sounds from the earth to me were coming in through the overhead speaker, I was starting to hear loud sensations inside my head, equivalent to running shoes swirling around in a dryer. So despite losing voices and sound that you would perceive, I was hearing very, very loud sounds in my head. And it was very, very terrifying for me. Over the course of the next, well, I had to go and get married deaf. So I was completely deaf. I was poked and prodded. I had MRIs, spinal tap, CT scan. I sat in hyperbaric chambers. I was basically a guinea pig for all these doctors. I was tossed out to go get married after several weeks of being pumped full of steroids. So at my wedding, I was deaf. I was coming off out of van, so I was having severe panic attacks. My face was swollen from the steroid medication, and of course, I was deaf. And this was my destination dream wedding. My husband didn't even flinch. He was He's 14 years younger than me. He didn't even blink. He was like, this is the love of my life. He guided me through the speeches. I was m- miraculously able to read the lips of all my guests. And I found myself comforting people at the wedding, telling them, oh, you know, I just have temporary hearing loss and I'm fine. And I don't know how I was able to communicate perfectly, but I was. And I feel as though I was worried about being judged and I was worried about them worrying for my husband that he was going to marry this deaf woman and now his life was over. So instead of just feeling and taking care of myself, I couldn't do that. I was just sort of in protection mode, you know, helping other people cope with my issue. 
Do you find that's a side of maybe being more of that type A personality where it's always, I'm fine, I'm fine. No, I can do everything. I don't need the help. And finally, you're in a situation where you do need the help, but it's sometimes hard to give up the, at the I'm fine. I don't need your help. I will do it all for you. And 100%. People to help you and be open to your feelings and your needs. 100%. That's exactly how I felt. It's hard to be so strong sometimes, right? When you actually need that help and that sympathy and that support to be able to shut off that stronger side and be okay to be vulnerable. It was really hard because I just wanted to go back to my life. But after the excitement of the wedding was gone, I was lying alone in my bed in this in a very hot summer in 2015. And I was I didn't know what was going to happen to my life as you know, I just I thought, oh, well, you know, I can watch a movie. Oh, wait a minute. No, I can't. Oh, I'll, I'll phone a friend. Wait a minute. No, I can't. Oh, I'll go to Starbucks, but I can't communicate with the barista. So I, you know, you really don't understand that deafness is a definite, obviously silent disability and nobody understands how important it is to be able to communicate and hear. And as I lay there alone in my room every day, not being able to do anything that I used to do and having very few friends visit me, which was also very hard for me, I realized that my only option was to go ahead and try to get the cochlear implant, which was given to me in the fall of 2015. And I will say for me, despite being very concerned with how it looked and and carving up my ear and the hope of ever hearing naturally again, it it was miraculous for me. So I now have a single-sided cochlear implant on the right. The left side was too scarred for them to put one in, unfortunately. And this is a very miraculous device for me. It's worked very well. So I can proudly say that my brain has learned to hear with this device better than 90% of the people that have a cochlear implant. So, Wow. And you have no hearing in your left side then at all? Did that never return? No, nothing at all. So when I take the implant off at night, I'm completely deaf. Or if I just pull it off, I'm completely deaf. So only I can hear perfectly when I put it on, which is miraculous. However, things like music, I would never seek out listening to music. Music is getting better, but it doesn't sound like there's too many chords and things still for my brain. Mm -hmm. Phone hearing is about 90% now. I can hear 90% of the things, but I'm not confident enough to say call a client. So imagine advocacy to to fight and figure this out and... Was there an, was there ever any answer at the end of it? Could anyone tell you why this happened? No one can tell me why I went deaf. But what happened to me after my son's birth definitely gave us some clues. So I wish hearing loss was, that was it for me. But unfortunately, things got a lot worse for me. I started to suffer from severe throat ulcerations so if you can imagine a canker sore, but in the back of your throat, and my throat ulcers were so painful. It was like a hundred times more painful than the worst strep throat you've ever had. I started to get them so often that I just started to, that's just how I started to live. So there would be weeks when I couldn't eat. 
the pain was so severe that if I accidentally swallowed my own saliva, I would scream. Oh my God. So it led to repeated hospitalizations during my son's, when I was pregnant with my son and the hospital staff, some of them were nice, but others of them just thought I was a mom that, or mom to be that wanted to get high on gravel and morphine. And they didn't understand the severity of my pain. When my son was born, I had an emergency C-section and they nicked my artery. And so years later, I would go on to lose my kidney with the throat ulcerations simultaneously happening this whole time. I flew to the Mayo Clinic because I had tried every doctor in the city to tell me what is going on with my throat. I was intubated at one point when they were doing the emergency C-section and they hit my uvula and it had been ulcerated and the ulcers would eat away at the tissue in the back of my throat. So two days later, I swallowed my uvula Oh my! when God. I ate breakfast. It was like, it's disgusting, but this is actually what I was living with. The ulcers were so bad. They would just eat away at the tissue in my throat. So one day after my son was born, I had a massive GI bleed. So I raced to the hospital. I lost half my blood volume. At the time, the doctors had known me and seen me so many times for coming in for pain meds for the throat ulcers. When I was bleeding, literal French fry trays full of blood, they would tell me, oh, you're just anxious, Monique. They put an Ativan in my mouth. You're just anxious. You're just anxious. And what ended up happening is I bled so much that I, I, I damaged both my kidneys at that time. And a massive bleed like that happened again about eight months later. If you can imagine how terrifying it would be to just go to the bathroom and almost bleed to death. Thankfully, the second time it happened, I was in a hospital when it started. I, had, I told the nurse, I said, I have about an hour to live before I'm going to die, basically, from bleeding to death. And as I was lying in the room... Within an hour, I had 15 ICU doctors working on me to save me. And I looked at the ceiling and I said, okay, God, you're either going to take me now or you're going to figure out what this is. So after I recovered, the blood came literally just in time to save me. And I advocated for a fifth colonoscopy. I just kept fighting. They didn't want to give me another one. We've given you them. We don't, there's nothing there. Sure enough. They found 40 deep ulcers in my colon. Those ulcers were the same ulcers in my throat. And I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Now, I don't have, and I never did have bowel symptoms. So why I want to advocate so hard is because if I didn't push and push and push these doctors, I never would have found the diagnosis after five years of severe suffering, severe anemia, massive bleeding, the hearing loss, I think, was some sort of immune response to these ulcerations that were in my throat. So all of it, it could not have been diagnosed if I hadn't continued to fight the doctors. Wow. What what an ordeal. <laughs> yeah, I don't have many words for all of what you've experienced. That is just another world of Wow. I'm sorry. I'm trying to find my words right now for you. I just can't even imagine this happening. But 
if you didn't advocate for yourself and you didn't keep pushing for all of those things, then we wouldn't have you here clearly. Right. Like you had, we're the only ones that know how our bodies feel. And as you said earlier, we're the only ones that know what things sound like in our own minds and how Uh we feel in our own bodies. And if we're not able to keep pushing and keep explaining how that feels to someone so that they don't give up on us, then Uh no no one's going to keep pushing for us. We have to Uh be our own advocates and thank God you were, and thank God you were strong enough to do that. Thank you. Yeah. One more example I want to give you is this past summer when I lost the kidney, I literally just all of a sudden developed high blood pressure. So 180, 180 over 140, something crazy like that. And I normally had 90 over 60. So I kept going to the hospital and saying, there's something wrong. And they told me again, you're just anxious, Monique. There's nothing wrong. You just have anxiety. So I had to fight, fight, fight for a CT scan. And they kept trying to send me home. Finally, they gave me that CT scan. And then they saw that my renal artery was, in fact, totally dissected. So years earlier, when they said, we think we nicked your ureter during the C-section, I think they nicked the artery. And slowly that blocked the blood flow. My kidney was shriveling up and dying. So when your kidney dies, it sends out these hormonal signals of renin and aldosterone, and that affects your blood pressure. Now, I had to research all of that because the doctors, even when they discovered that, they didn't want to do anything for me. They said, we'll just give you four different blood pressure pills and you'll take those for life. And I said, no, take the kidney out. If you take the kidney out, it will normalize my blood pressure. They argued and argued, but I fought to take the kidney out. As soon as they took my kidney out, my blood pressure is back at 90 over 60. So there's an example of why it's scary. They were just going to give me four blood pressure pills for life. That is terrifying to me. Slap a bandaid on it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not the ultimate fix and not how you want to live the rest of your life. 46, you have a whole life ahead of you. The last thing you want to be living with is how many pills a day. Yeah, you have to basically, you have to go and see specialists. You have to know your blood work. That's my biggest thing to tell people. Know your numbers, know your baseline, know what a CBC is, know if you're anemic, know what your cell counts are. So that if something shifts, if you check yourself every year and something shifts, doctors don't flag it unless it's way out of range. But if you see your kidney slowly going down, even if it's not out of range, then you can say to the doctor, I want this looked at. And that's why it's important for people to know their own information. And that's why I want to continue to talk about what happened to me in hopes to save somebody, especially since these throat ulcers are not a typical manifestation of Crohn's disease. Absolutely. The more people learn about health in all those different aspects and realize that everyone does experience different symptoms and different signs, but to make sure that you realize when something doesn't feel right or isn't normal, that it, it isn't that you right. know better. That is you your have to body. trust your gut. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I can only imagine how your mental state and mental health going through this all has been probably still is on certain levels. How are you, how do you address that? And how are you dealing with that? And how are you staying okay? Well, I think that it's, it is a battle at times because 
I think how I would best describe it is you have good days and bad days. Most of my days are good. I try to focus on what I do have. I'm so lucky. I can hear the birds chirp. That was a big thing for me. That's miraculous. So even though I've been through so much, I'm out of it. I'm in remission. So I have to dwell on what I have. And I think that's the biggest thing when you go through these traumas is you have to always think someone has it worse. Someone is terminal somewhere. I'm not. I'm in remission. I have a voice. I have a loving partner by my side and beautiful children. So that keeps me from going into depressed state. When I was in the hospital system 400 plus nights and I had a little son that I couldn't hug, I remember the only thing that kept me going was my husband coming into the room with magazines and saying, don't worry, I promise. I kept hearing him say, I promise you'll be okay. I promise we'll, we'll find out what's wrong. And I hung on to those words and that's what kept me going. To be to have something that you're so grateful for and thankful for. And wow, that's just so inspiring and loving. Thank you. Absolutely. So let's backtrack. If you were to lie in bed that night asking for a story that's not cancer, would you have changed anything of those asks? To be honest, no. I would not want my hearing back because the person that I have become after going through this is is so different. I can't explain. And when you go through this type of thing, you really see who your friends are. I have met some beautiful, really wonderful people after going through this. And I have gotten rid of people that should never have been in my life. I have had opportunities to help change lives. That is a very rewarding feeling. If I were to die tomorrow, I would feel like I made an impact in the world. I couldn't have said that before this happened to me. I think that we're all dealt certain cards at certain times of our lives when we're able to look at that outlook as Mm -hmm. you just so beautifully said that. And clearly you were open to that at that time of your life to be able to now sit here and speak so eloquently and tell this incredible tale, this journey that you've been through and to now be able to support so many other people on so many different levels from Crohn's to deafness, to the mental health side of it all. And more, I know you have so many more stories. I salute you. (laughs) Thank you so much. So I know that you penned a bunch of this down in your book. So can Mm -hmm. you tell us what the book's called? And and is it this whole journey that we read? So my book is called Life After Death, D-E-A-F. And it's on Amazon. And it is definitely a tale. It is the love story of my husband and I simultaneously happening and all the miracles that I have witnessed along the way about how there are no accidents, how that if you ask, you get answers. I detailed so many miracles that could absolutely not have happened by mistake. I look back and think, could you imagine, Brittany, if my husband were not a realtor? Could you imagine? I went deaf. I had a beautiful house. I had a huge business. If I hadn't met Jesse when I did, would I have met a husband? Would someone have taken me on deaf? What would have happened in my home and my business? Just everything, the timing. You know, I met him. We had a great courtship and then boom, 
this happened. Every single thing is documented in my book from all the ER visits to the many doctors we saw to them sending me down to have my heart. They thought I was shooting blood clots out of my heart. And they were, I was on a table ready to have a wire, put a mesh thing into my heart. And they said, we're sorry. We looked at the wrong scan. I had a woman doctor once tell me, oh, you have 30 blood clots in your lungs now. And then we're going to put you on 3000 milligrams of steroid. Then they came back and said, sorry, those were dots on a computer screen. I'm not joking. So there are so many harrowing stories Stories of nurses apologizing for their behavior. Stories of nurses throwing diapers at me, telling me to change myself. I have witnessed it all, and I need the world to see that you can make it through anything. And that is what my book is about. I love that. I think that from your advocacy side to also what you have been speaking, we ask for the world. And if we put it out into the world, we will receive it. If too many people are afraid of asking for what they want because they are too afraid to actually have to take those actionable, actionable steps towards that light. And 100% have definitely proven time and time again that if you ask for something, you will receive it. And 100%. when you're asking for something, you are open to whatever capacity that looks like and comes in. That's so true. And life being so short. People need to wake up and stop living like a factory worker where you wake up, put your punch card in, go through the motions, go to bed. You have to wake up to life. You have to, you not, you being able to hear, you have to celebrate that you can walk every day. You have to literally celebrate it. My ritual is go for a walk in the morning and just think about what I have and dwell on what I have because that keeps my energy and my frequency high in a place of receivership. People of just, fulfillment. That's right. Mm-hmm. People are always like, oh, it's cold. Oh, it's raining. Oh, it's dark. You know, talk about something positive because it will shift your whole entire life. Absolutely. I have found over the past few years, I would say as myself looking inwards more. So when you look outwards and you look at the people around you, how few are positive, most conversations start negative. That's right. And if people can start to listen to that inner dialogue, how much the energy shift and your self-fulfillment changes. That's right. And you also find yourself, if you're positive, you find yourself shutting doors about shutting doors that don't serve you. And people all of a sudden start appearing that catapult you towards your dream. And it's very miraculous how that happens. It's like, if you say, what should I do to get this message out there? All of a sudden, someone the next day will say, you know, why don't you do this? And it's exactly, you're like, that's it. And it's, it's as soon as you start to open yourself up to that and start surrounding yourself with people and owning who you are, that these magical doors start to open in life. That's what I find. I couldn't agree more. I yeah. totally agree with you. Yeah. So you mentioned your morning walks. So do you have a morning routine that, that is your ritual that kind of sets you up for your days? Absolutely. I definitely start my day taking my my puppy, who is now nine months. I have two dogs. And we go for an hour walk 
through nature. And I just basically ask to be surrounded with white light and protection from all the negativity in the world. And I ask for guidance basically to help me live my best life and to help other people. And that every day focusing on gratitude and what I do have is literally what prevents me from going into a dark place. And I think that and a little bit of meditation in the afternoon, maybe 20 minutes of just listening to a hypnotherapy online or a guided meditation online and doing some writing, some journaling, you know, saying what I'm thankful for. And if I have something that comes up in the day, instead of just letting it sit there, just, just write it out. This bothered me because this person affected me because, and as soon as you write that down, you actually leave it on the paper. And I find that that really does help, help us move on from things that are negative in the day. I love that idea. I've never thought of that. And I'm definitely going to try and practice that. There are things that aggravate me way more than they should. And I, I am trying to be aware of those to let that go. And I like that. Write it down and move on. Another thing to keep in mind as a woman is, you know, we can look in the mirror at the end of the day and we can say, wow, you know, I'm, I've got extra weight here and this bothers me and this bothers me. But if you, if you think about saying that about yourself three years ago or four years ago, you see a picture, you go, oh my goodness, I looked so good. It's all in the eye of the beholder. So what I think a good exercise is that I do now is I look at the mirror and if I catch myself saying, oh, you know, this or that, I'll go back to that mirror. I'll stand back and I'll say, wow, like I look good. Like, and then I'll, I'll, I'll leave that. What I want is to leave a thought in my mind before I go to bed that I look beautiful and I want to thank my body for carrying me through this journey. So you want to, if you catch yourself saying something critical about yourself, you have to go back to that same mirror, fix your hair a different way, do something and say something positive to yourself because it actually does change the way your body feels. Like it just, it changes things. Positive affirmations. Yes. Yes. Well, Monique, you are such a light and you have so many things to offer. And I know you will have touched so many today, let alone going forward in all of the things that you have to offer. So I am definitely going to be picking up your book to read and I am going to be handing that over to my husband as well. And I hope that many, many, many more people do the same. Thank you so much for inviting me to your podcast. It's a real honor. Where can people find you or at least find your book? You mentioned on Amazon. I will link everything. They can Google us at the Williamsons.ca if they want to reach out to me. My book is available on Amazon, Life After Death. If you Google the title, you will see it right away. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Monique as much as I did. What an incredibly inspiring woman. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it. See you next week. You can find me on Instagram at MomSweatSamuel.